0: G 10, 9, ignition sequence starts. Coming to you from a small, undisclosed outpost somewhere in Radioland, it's Because I Said So. Parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved for American parents john rosemond people like this are a menace to decent society call in now about anything from toddlers to teens even your 20-something toddlers who refuse to stop sucking on the pacifier of your standard of living let's not talk about it in front of the boy five four three two one zero all engines running liftoff we have a liftoff From American Family Radio Network, here's your host, John Rosemond.
1: Welcome to the show. Our number for those of you who would like to call with a question or a comment, and we welcome your feedback, is 404-419-6499. It is axiomatic, folks, that the continuing strength of a nation depends on the continuing strength of its child-rearing practices, practices that instill into children the values that define the culture in question, along with a commitment to defending those values. The United States of America has lasted as long as it has because every generation succeeded at doing just that. Until the baby boomers, my generation came along, that is, With rare exception, we boomers were raised by parents, the so-called greatest generation, who did their level best to instill those values and that commitment. They were the greatest generation indeed. In the 1950s and early 1960s, as they had for decades, America's public schools also taught those values, Growing up in the 1950s, I learned to love America. Every school day began with a group recitation of the Pledge of Allegiance, which we all said with pride. And then my generation went to college, where many of us fell under the sway of progressive, secular humanist philosophies, New Age spirituality, which is to say paganism, which by the way, is the origin of radical environmentalism, including the global warming climate change cult, and the very seductive, teary-eyed notion that the world's many cultures, tribes, and cults could all be one. One culture, one tribe, one cult if we simply embraced something called tolerance, a word that is, interestingly enough, not found in either the Old or New Testaments. Neither are the words tolerant or tolerate. Isn't that fascinating? God does not promote tolerance. Why? Because tolerance is demonic. Universal tolerance is the theoretical end result of the universal acceptance of relativism, which is the demonic notion that there are no fixed immutable standards concerning anything. In reality, relativism and tolerance do not lead to the universal warm fuzziness that John Lennon sang of in the song Imagine, his anthem to humanistic relativism. Relativism and tolerance lead to anarchy. They lead to cultural anarchy, which the left, the official sponsors of anarchy in all forms, calls multiculturalism, the warm and fuzzy embrace of which has nearly destroyed Europe. It leads straight to intellectual anarchy, which we are now seeing on America's college campuses in the form of student mobs demanding that people who say things they don't agree with be silenced. Tolerance leads to moral anarchy, which is the morality of the new left in America, the reigning symbols of which are abortion on demand and homosexual marriage. And it most recently has led to gender anarchy by which human beings with male chromosomes come to believe that they are females, and human beings with female chromosomes come to believe that they are males. This is relativism. This is my generation's gift to mankind. Not that we invented it, because we didn't. It's Satan's stock in trade. You may recall Satan telling Eve that she could and should decide for herself what was right and what was wrong, and that if it felt good, she should do it. That's precisely the intellectual poison that John Rosemond, yours truly, leftist, humanist, atheist John Rosemond, yep, that was me, embraced during his college days. God endowed us with free will, the proper control of which requires intellectual rigor, which is acquired through proper training. A human being who lacks intellectual rigor is vulnerable to the seductions of postmodern secular humanist pagan relativism. I am convinced that we baby boomers by and large, and of course there are exceptions to what I'm going to say here, but I'm convinced that we baby boomers failed, generally speaking to train intellectual rigor into our children. Instead of bringing them up in homes that promoted great books, we let them watch stupid television programs and play stupid video games, and we filled their after-school activities with sports, training them in the process to believe the trophies were more indicative of a life well-led than a library of good books. And we allowed America's public schools to teach relativism and humanism and environmental paganism, and so, America's kids, the ones who have the ability to get into supposedly, and I stress supposedly, good schools, like the University of Missouri and Yale, are intellectually lazy kids. Furthermore, because we embraced the hedonism of the self esteem movement and passed it along to our kids, today's college kids are a bunch of crybabies who wouldn't put forth the effort to defend America if their lives depended on it, which they someday may. These highly educated but intellectually lazy crybabies embrace victimhood wherever they can find it. They cringe at so-called trigger words. They imagine something called microaggressions lurking behind every obscure comment, every ambiguous facial expression. They apparently believe that if there's no ongoing soap opera in a person's life, the life has no significance. All of this screams of weakness in America's child-rearing, weakness that has been growing for 50 years now. Examples abound. They're everywhere. A year or so ago, for example, I was in the home of a couple who claimed to be Christians. Their 16-year-old son, in full view, was watching a television program, And it took me a few minutes to realize, only a few minutes, that it was a program, a sitcom, in fact, about two homosexual men who are raising a very sassy five-year-old girl. That's a prime example of child-rearing laziness. The barbarians are at the gates, folks. If you don't understand that, then you understand nothing. The immediate solution is to do things like strengthen our military and act draconian border controls and stop admitting refugees into this country who do not and are not ever going to share our values. But those are Band-Aids. The ultimate solution is for parents to come to their senses and begin once again training up children who will love what America stands for, love God, love his son, and love their neighbors as they love themselves. If America's parents, and especially Christian parents, don't wake up to those responsibilities, then I figure America has at most one more generation to go before it implodes and the barbarians swarm in. If you're going to raise an intellectually and morally lazy kid, then you might as well sponsor a Muslim terrorist for citizenship. And that's my rant of the day. Stay tuned. I'll be back in a moment with more political incorrectness. In the meantime, if you want to join the show, our number's 404-419-6499. You can email your questions to radio at rosemond.com. That's radio at rosemond.com. Or if you would rather tweet, it's at John K. Rosemond. Back with your calls after this. Back with you, John Rosemond. The show is called Because I Said So. It's a show dealing with child-rearing issues, or what we now call parenting, an odd term that makes it sound like it's a science or a technology. And I sometimes rant about the term on the show, as regular listeners already know. Um, Our number is 404-419-6499. If you'd like to join the show with a question or a comment, we invite your feedback And, in fact, we have a listener on the line from Nebraska. His name is Mike. Mike, uh, how are you doing?
2: Doing well. Thank you for taking my call.
1: Oh, absolutely. Thanks for calling.
2: Um, My question, uh, sir, for you today is, uh, you know, children, they are rebellious, and uh, we try to teach them between right and wrong, and we punish them when, when they do rebel. But part of me, I'm having a problem trying to teach them i'm trying i'm trying to figure out i think rebellion is can be a good thing in certain situations and how do we teach a child when it's okay to rebel and I'll give and I'll give you an example is you know we our children are going to be faced with evil growing up across the board and i think it's okay to rebel against evil and so how do i teach that child without destroying or diminishing his spirit without you know, controlling that spirit. How do I teach them? It's okay to rebel in certain situations.
1: You know, that is an excellent question. I, I to be very honest with you, I don't think I've ever received a a more provocative, uh, excellent uh, question than this, Thank Mike. Thank you very much for it. Um, you know, here is my feeling. Indeed, there there needs to be a distinction between principled and unprincipled rebellion, a distinction between ethical and unethical rebellion, a distinction between moral and immoral rebellion. And uh, I think that's what your question is getting to. Am I Am I following you here? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Well, uh, and indeed, I think that children need to be told that uh, there are times when it is proper to resist the influence of uh, certain people who are in positions of authority. The fact of the matter is that not everyone who occupies a position of authority is a person who is occupying that position ethically in a principled way. And I, I do believe that we need to teach our children to make the distinction between ethical leadership and unethical leadership, principled and unprincipled leadership and so on and so forth. And to teach them how to properly uh, resist the influence of those people. That, that to me doesn't necessarily mean that we encourage them to rebel, but that we encourage them to think for themselves and to be able to identify when a person in a position of authority is attempting to lead them in a uh, an immoral, unprincipled direction, when a person in a position like that is trying to exercise um, a non-biblical influence over them, so to speak, and when they should... Uh, be yielding to the influence of authority figures. One way of doing this, it seems to me, is to tell them stories about people in the past who did exactly that. For, ex- for example, and and you know, Rush Limbaugh's uh, Rush Revere series of books for children is a it would be a great example of what I'm talking about. Uh, telling children stories about, for example, uh, the founding fathers. And why they felt that it was appropriate, and uh, and and certainly uh, not a violation of biblical principle to rebel against the uh, the illegitimate government that Britain was imposing on the colonies in 1776. Telling children stories uh, that involve uh, you know historical examples of what right. you're talking about. A reading children uh, stories when they're younger of this sort of thing. You know, I was, uh, before you came on the air, knowing what your question was about, I went to uh, Romans 13 where Paul begins by saying, let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God, and whoever resists power resists the ordinance of God. But he goes on to say, uh, and it's Romans 13, one through 7, down in verse 7, Render therefore to all their dues tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear is Honor to whom honor. But the operative word or words in that verse are the words is due. Tribute is due. Custom to whom custom and the implied words are is due, and so on and so forth. So even Paul, it appears to me, is not saying that uh, Christians should passively yield to every secular authority that we should make distinctions between those authorities to whom tribute is due and honor is due and those authorities to whom tribute is not due and honor is not due. Now, he doesn't go on to, to prescribe how to resist, how to um, to refuse to give tribute, to refuse to give honor. But I would dare say that it's it's just all about you know uh, where children are concerned teaching children to make these distinctions and teaching children appropriate ways of resisting illegitimate and immoral authority but tell me what your thoughts are
2: well i think you hit it on on, on perfect about the storytelling i mean i think that's the way to go I mean, you brought a great example of george washington you know in the early days um, how he rebelled against, you know, the British and that's how our our country was, you know, formed. Um, you can go, another story could be that, you know, Adolf Hitler, you know, the authority of Germany and nobody, you know, you know, there's a story there. You could go, uh, there's, there's many stories that, that you can share with children. I mean, you could be, it could be the upcoming Star Wars movie, you know? how the rebellion, the rebels are, are fighting against an evil empire. You know, it, there's so many different layers of, of examples out there. I think that's that's the way to go.
1: And going back to your example of Adolf Hitler, that's a prime example of what happens when people do not resist illegitimate and immoral authority. Right. And as such, because it's a prime example of the very opposite of what the founding fathers did it's an excellent excellent story to to use uh amidst these other stories and movies that you would uh uh show to children let children watch and discuss with them and so on and so forth and star wars uh, you know i i happen to be a star wars fan of most of the star wars uh um episodes some of them i think are worthless but uh yeah. all yeah. in all it's a good series and, uh, and certainly can be used as a, as a foundation for teaching children moral lessons. Absolutely.
2: Right. So I, I was curious. You know, I, it's been one of those things I've been with, with everything that's going on now in the, around the world. There's, there's a lot of things happening, and I think our kids are confused. And so I, I'm just trying to clarify. I want to paint a picture for them. And I'm trying to make it simple for them to understand when to resist, when to fight back, and when not to. And it's in today's world, they're going to be faced with a lot of challenges. And you, uh, I think you helped me today with bringing up stories and teaching them through stories in the past and the present. So good, good.
1: I well, that. I haven't read Rush Limbaugh's books. I, 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 it's one of the things on my to do list. Um, at this age, I, I guess you'd call it a bucket list. But uh, it's one of the things I want to do. But I understand from talking with people who have read his books um, to their children uh, or have bought his books for their children and and their children have read that those books do exactly what we're talking about here. They, they make the distinction between legitimate and illegitimate rebellion and legitimate and illegitimate authority. And... Uh, Another thing that comes to mind, I, you know, when I was in school and I forget exactly what grade it was, I think it was third grade. I came home and I told my parents that my, uh, my teacher was uh, mean and uh, unfair and that uh, she, uh, in my estimation, my third grade nine-year-old opinion wasn't a very good teacher. And, and by the way, to this day, I believe she was not a very good teacher. She was a very emotional person. Her approach to, to discipline in the classroom was highly emotional and therefore very ineffective. And I believe she was unfair and unjust. And I, I think my parents agreed with me on the one hand. On the other hand, my, uh, my mother, I think it was, she said to me, well, you know, the point in fact is that you will, in the course of, of your life, find yourself having to deal with people who are in positions of authority, who are in fact more unfair and more unjust than this teacher. And you need to learn how to deal with people like this. And the earlier you learn how to deal with it, the better. And so they gave me, you know, a number of tips, advice on how to deal with this teacher. And basically it boiled down to you know keep a low profile uh don't attract attention to yourself and uh you know you already know that this person is is uh using her power unjustly unfairly unethically uh keep that to yourself but it's a very good lesson for you to learn at this age and um it it was extremely helpful advice and and i think that that there are times when Parents are going to need to give their children advice of that sort, Mike, concerning authority figures that they deal with. Because let's face it, children are not in positions where they can rebel against authority figures in a very uh, effective way. So, Mike, thanks for your question. I appreciate it and um, hope you continue listening to the show. And if you'd like ever again to call us, please do, because I appreciate this, uh, this question of yours. I'm John Rosemond. The show is Because I Said So, and we'll be back in a few minutes.
0: From American Family Radio Network, it's Because I Said So. Now once again, here's your host, John Rosemond.
1: Welcome back to the show. I've got on the line with me the director of Shepherds Hill Academy, which is a year-long residential therapeutic program for troubled teens. And uh, I'll let uh, Trace Embry, the founder and director of Shepherds Hill Academy, talk for himself. Uh, Trace, uh, thanks for joining the show. How are you doing?
3: Hey, I'm doing great, John. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure, brother. Um, I want to uh, let our listeners know as much about Shepherds Hill Academy in this segment of the program as we can. So let's get straight to the chase. Sure. Why don't you um, begin by telling people where Shepherds Hill Academy is, what prompted you to start it and what it's all about?
3: Well, Shepherd's Hill Academy is uh, north of Atlanta, northeast of Atlanta, uh, about uh, 90 miles. Uh, we're here in a little uh, little town of Martin, Georgia, really out in the boonies. I uh, got started because uh, God said so. Um, I was uh, a policeman and a, and, a, and a roofing company, of all things, in the Chicago area, and um, got that tap on the shoulder and then the kick in the backside uh, that God wanted to use, my wife and I, for... Um, uh, for ministry, and we went to Bible college, thought we were going to be holy people and go back and serve in a church, but we ended up uh, acquiring uh, a 60-acre, at that time, 60-acre track of land uh, with um, $200 and a handshake, and uh, seven years uh, later, we were uh, taking kids from all over the country and around the world.
1: How old are these children, generally speaking, that you're taking in?
3: Uh, We advertise 13 to 17. And, of course, there are a lot of kids that turn 18 while they're here. We're not going to kick them out. Uh, But if they wanted to leave, they could. Uh, Virtually none do leave. They all stay and want to get that sheepskin.
1: Well, tell our listeners what kind of kids these are when they start the program. Sure. How long they're with you, generally speaking, and what kind of kids they are, generally speaking, when they leave.
3: Well, this is a, a therapeutic slash wilderness slash boarding school. Uh, The kind of kids that we deal with are kids who are on their way to jail or the grave, uh, dealing with everything from rebellion, depression, uh, some gang uh, activity, uh, anger, ADD, ADHD, ODD, all the DDs, uh, which we call ATD, American Teenager Disorder. Uh, But uh, digital addictions, uh, pornography addictions, I mean, you name it. Uh, uh, The only kids we won't take are sexual predators, fire starters and kids that are cruel to animals. And we don't do that because God can't heal them. We do that because we have an obligation to protect the the family from the kids that we currently serve.
1: Well, you you didn't mention drug use, but but I know that you've got a lot of kids there who have been involved in, and rather heavily so in some cases, in drugs, correct? Virtually
3: every kid. Virtually every kid had some drug activity, some uh, full-blown addiction. And I think we need to understand what addiction is. I mean, Addiction is basically just what Scripture has already called idolatry, and I think God has wired us, every one of us up for addiction, Uh, but we're to be addicted to sustenance, uh, not substance. The only substance we are to be addicted to is God himself. And uh, once these kids come to that realization, and we don't jam Jesus down their throat here, but uh, we give them enough evidence uh, and love and and whatnot in the course of their year here, it's a year-long program, uh, that they come to their own conclusions, and it's usually uh, they usually conclude that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be, has the power he claimed to have, uh, and is still alive uh, today.
1: Well, praise God, I, That that's just marvelous news. What is it that you're doing with these kids during the year that they're with you? And I realize that you're doing slightly different things with each one, depending on the problems that they bring to the table, but... In general, what is it that you're doing with these kids?
3: Well, John, we're getting them into an environment um, that is an uh, an unplugged uh, environment. Uh, It's experiential living. Our kids live in the woods. Uh, They have no running water, no electricity in the communities that they build and live in. It's kind of like Gilligan's Island in the woods out there, which is about a quarter-mile walk off of the main campus where our school and cafeteria uh, and office buildings and chapel and things like that are a shower house are located and uh, uh, the, the kids basically uh, have a a year uh, reprieve uh, so to speak from uh, all the garbage that's being you know, crammed down their throat to MTV, VH1, uh, BET, uh, Hollywood, Madison Avenue and they get a chance to get outside the forest that they live in the cultural forest that they live in and look back and see the trees and then after a year or so in the program, they're able to go back and not just become more microcosms of our culture, but change agents to our culture, because we drive home an incredible uh, apologetic uh, with these kids so they can defend their faith. But their experience here is they're, they're really getting a chance to experience a little bit of the kingdom of God right here on Earth, and um, they acquire an appetite for that. And uh, uh, they also acquire an appetite for going out there and, and sharing that and and. that uh, uh, informing the rest of the world their, their peer group that hey this this jesus guy uh, he 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 really does exist i 've had my experience with him, and uh, that 's our goal to change the culture as well and um that 's what
1: that's what 's happening at Shepherd's Hill so really what you 're doing it seems to me and i 've been there at Shepherd's Hill several times folks and uh it's it 's an extremely impressive place. the sense that I get trace is that what you 're doing is just uh, resetting these kids, uh, you know, resetting them back to their factory settings, if you will. Exactly. And, uh, and doing that by just exposing them to a normal life, uh, yep. and a normal life being without uh, um, the constant bombardment of uh, of television and computers and video games and cell phones and things of that sort. You eliminate peer pressure. uh, You eliminate all that digital stuff. Mm -hmm. um, And just like I said, you you reset them back to their factory settings. And when I'm there, I just feel like, uh, you know, uh, when I leave, I've exhaled for the first time in a long time. I mean, it's an amazing uh, experience just to be there and talk to the kids and watch what's going on.
3: Yeah, well, that's exactly how the kids feel about it. They feel like... uh a lot of the pressure is off. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned getting the kids back to their original factory settings. If you're going to rebuild an old piece of furniture or, a, or an antique car, you have to sand things down and, and, and get them back to, you know, the, the bare metal and the bare wood and oil them up and paint them up and put the things back together. And what's happening is uh, a lot of youth groups today and a lot of therapeutic uh, approaches are like feeding our kids junk food or painting over rust. They don't purge these kids of some of the garbage that's gone in. And here's the thing. You know, some of the popular therapeutic approaches today, cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, for all intents and purposes, we're doing that. Scripture is the ultimate therapeutic uh, DSM, and uh, we're we're, we're using that. Now, our people are master's degree, and they would call themselves therapists, but they, they do nothing that isn't first filtered uh, through Scripture, Scripture being the constant, the catalyst that that holds all these mechanical approaches together, and uh, you know it's 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 basically uh, reinforcing what Scripture's already uh, said when it when it says, "As a man thinks, so is he." That's pretty much what cognitive behavioral therapy is, and uh, it's just that we're doing it from the standpoint of a biblical worldview. We're not going into th- therapeutic uh, approaches with one hand behind her back, taking the spiritual component out of the equation. And, man, I'll tell you what, that is really having an effect on these kids, and not just the kids, but the families that send their kids here, too, extended families. We've had, we've had aunts, uncles, grandparents, uh, siblings uh, come to Jesus Christ just because of what they've experienced here uh, with their, with their uh, sons and daughters. It's, it's incredible.
1: What a marvelous thing. And and uh, with respect to your comments about uh, Scripture being the original cognitive behavior therapy, uh, proving that there is nothing new under the sun.
3: Mm-hmm. Exactly right.
1: Absolutely. Psychology doesn't have anything on Scripture. I'll it tell absolutely
3: you. does not. And I, and the thing about it is, that, John, is our kids have believed a lot of lies that our culture has told them. And, of course, now we're talking about maybe uh, some of the things that go along with the dialectical behavioral therapy. But what, what is culture? Uh, I would say that culture is, the, is, the, is, is our kids' biggest problem in America. Uh, Dr. Richard Leahy said that our kids today are experiencing the same degree of anxiety uh, as the average psych patient in the 1950s. And here's a definition of culture. It's the ideas, institutions, and interactions that tell a people group how to think, feel, and act. And believe me, our culture especially with the social media and all the digital technology around them, has told our kids how to feel, think, and act. And uh, we're saying, hey, look, let's look at the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. And and they have a whole year to get to see what the rest of the story actually is when it comes to origin, meaning of life, uh, morality, how to live life, and destiny. What happens when we die? Uh, Our kids are not learning these things uh, at their public schools.
1: No, they're not learning these things at all, and and uh, the whole culture's worldview is completely out of whack. I often talk when I'm in front of an audience about uh, your parent view, and our parent view in America has been out of whack for 50 years ever since we started listening to, and this will be an ironic thing for for me to say, people like me, people with capital letters after their names tell us how to raise kids. And I would dare say that you know you're um, you're uh, attributing a lot of this to the culture, but uh, uh, and I'm not I'm not saying that the parents of these kids are at fault, but what I have observed, and I'm sure you've observed it too, although I'm not trying to put words into your mouth, is that parents are as lost as kids are these days. They don't know how to do what they're supposed to be doing.
3: There is no doubt about that, uh, John. And look, God never required parents to be PhDs in child psychology to be good parents. Come on, that, that just that's just common sense. We take our cues from the great physicians. This one is a doctor, uh, you know, a, a, a parenting expert. We take our cues from the wonderful counselor, you know, Jesus Christ. And uh, you you say that to the average, uh, you know, PhD, master's level therapist, and they look at you like, well, you're just some right wing Bible thumping nut job. But the thing is, we will compare. Our results with theirs any day of
1: the week. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, most people don't realize that the efficacy of not one psychological therapy has ever been proven, that there is, in fact, research that clearly indicates that you're uh, a- as likely to get worse as you are better if you go see a psychologist. Um, Trace, there's that annoying music uh, again and uh, which means you know what it means because you've got a radio show. I'd like you to stay on the line if you can and talk about your radio show and talk a little bit more about Shepherds Hill Academy when we come back. This is um, John Roseman. The program is Because I Said So. We're on American Family Radio. We welcome your calls at 404-419-6499. Be right back. Welcome back to the show. I'm John Roseman, your host, and the show is called Because I Said So. On the line is a fascinating guy and a good friend of mine, Trace Embry. He's the founder and director of a year-long residential therapeutic program for troubled teens, and it's called Shepherd's Hill. It's about 90 miles uh, northeast of Atlanta in the rolling, uh, hills of, uh, Northeast Georgia. And, um, Trace, um, you've been doing this for over 20 years now. You, you had this uh, calling when you were a policeman and a roofer up in the Chicagoland area and, uh, moved your family on faith down to, uh, Georgia, bought this farm, set up this, uh, this rehabilitation program. And, um, that has uh, leapfrogged, I guess, into a radio show now that you, uh, you do weekly called License to Parent. Why don't you tell us about a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, you know, um, uh, God uh, puts us through seasons, and uh, the season came about where the Lord really spoke to us that we are to take outside the gate of Shepherd's Hill Academy What we know is transforming the lives of kids inside the gate because residential care is very, very expensive, and not everyone can do that. I mean, we we take about 300 calls a month, and uh, maybe one or two at tops can actually swing it financially. It's just a very expensive deal. So uh, I'm not a radio guy. I never considered myself a radio guy, but God has kind of equipped me to be able to do it. Thanks to Rich Raza, who's also your producer. He's our producer and, and, uh, and co-host. He's made it a a, a very nice program and, and so we can take the things that we know and get it into the hands of people. So hopefully, uh, like uh, uh, health food, they can get it to, into their kids where their kids don't need to go to Shepherd Hill Academy or any other place for that matter.
1: Well, what are you, what are you doing on uh, License to Parent? What are you talking about specifically? It, it Almost, you know, the first time I heard License to Parent, I thought, well, Trace, surely you're not pushing for requiring parents to have permits to to raise children. Uh, I, I know enough about you, that, but it, it sounds like that for a second. So explain right. uh, what, what your mission is, what you're doing there.
3: Well, there are so many parents who don't feel like they have the right uh, to really have any sway over Junior's uh, healthy future or, or life. Uh, they feel like they're politically incorrect, that they do the things that Scripture says you need to do uh, to raise your children up and uh, the way they should go, but uh, we're saying, listen, no, we want to give you that license, the parent back. You're the parent. You know, w- We understand that, that, that parents uh, need to uh, get their their authority back and and steer these kids in the right direction, but in the postmodern world, John, as you know, uh, the world says, what's right for you might not be right for me, what's right for parents might not be right for junior, but Parents know better than that. It's like the emperor's new clothes. They all know the right and wrong, but they're almost afraid to express it today. And so we're saying, oh, we're going to tell you that you have a license to parent your kid. God's ordained you to be that, that, that child's parent, so, so go
1: for it. Well, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, this is something that I talk about a lot in front of my audiences is that we're really wired to know the difference between right and wrong. It's called a conscience. And it's what the Bible refers to as uh, things written on our hearts. And, um, you know, what what you're doing through your show and through Shepherds Hill is you're giving people permission to be normal human beings again and, and to, to not uh, just submit themselves to the pressures of culture and the peer group and so on and so forth. Uh, you've got two marvelous ministries, and the— uh, the The thing we have in common uh besides being uh very ardent believers, is that uh we're the only two that I know of parenting programs on the radio. There are programs that may talk about raising children occasionally, but you and I are the only two guys on the radio that I know of uh Christian radio or secular radio oh. who are who are talking exclusively about parenting issues,
3: yeah. Well, there's a lot of family programs, but this is specifically parenting. And uh, I can't think of uh, anything more important uh, for the future of our nation and our posterity than, than, than parenting. I mean, my gosh, you know, uh, we are steering these kids in the directions uh, that, that uh, is going to determine uh, someday whether we live or die or not.
1: Well, I started the program trace by talking about how weak parenting really weakens the entire culture. And I also wrote a newspaper column about that recently that was, uh, uh, distributed nationally. Um, but it, it's the, uh, it's the tragedy of our times that, uh, we've weakened the, uh, the raising of children in America. And we don't realize that when you weaken child rearing practices, you weaken the strength of the entire culture because the strength of a nation depends fundamentally on the strength of its child-earing practices and the strength of its families. And uh, and both of those have weakened considerably since the 1960s.
3: Mm-hmm. And you know what I've discovered about kids? I mean, I've raised you know five of my own and uh, certainly hundreds of kids uh, from all over the country and around the world now. Uh, but kids will do what's required of them. I found that out. They will. The problem is, is that parents don't don't require very much, and uh, they don't feel like they have uh, really the right to require uh, kids to to make kids do anything. But what I've learned is that when you jumpstart a kid in the right direction, you make him do it, he will eventually acquire a bit of an appetite for that to where um, the kid that didn't want to work, let's say, uh, give him some chores to do and require that there will be privileges taken away if they're not done, you'll find that kid will acquire appetites for those very chores sometimes. Uh, but parents won't give their kids an opportunity to to even uh, grow into an appetite like that. They think, well, you know, the most productive thing junior can do is get the, to the next level of a video game or something, and that's really they acquired nothing more than that. And it's, and it's like it's kind of scary because these are kids who who can uh, program computers, but they can't change a, a vacuum cleaner bag, and, and nor do they care to learn. And that's just not building the the the, the proper gray matter in these kids to carry on a civilized culture. And we think we're civilized because we have all these techno gadgets. I'm telling you, we are de-civilizing more rapidly than anyone can understand.
1: Well, you know, it's even more fundamental than that. In, in, and I know you'll agree with this. I'm not correcting you, but just amplifying what you just said. And that is that parents don't even know how to tell children to do what they want them to do anymore. Parents yeah. come up to me and they say, John, my child won't do what he's told. And I go, Yes, he will. You just have to learn how to tell. What you're doing is you're pleading, bargaining, bribing, cajoling, reasoning, explaining, encouraging, and promising.
3: And probably he- listening to any number of uh, quote unquote psychologists, you know, child parenting professionals that um, have basically hook, line, and sinker. Uh, had these parents swallow their stuff, and it's, well, this uh, is
1: my favorite subject, as you know, because, as you know, I am a psychologist with a license from the north carolina psychology board and and i 'm an outlier in my field, as you know, because I go around the country and I tell people all the time uh, and, and the The wonderful thing about what I am going to going to repeat uh, on this show right now is, is that because i 'm a psychologist, I can say this with credibility is that psychology has been a wrecking ball uh in child-rearing in America we have created more problems than we even know how to solve and our salvation literally is uh a a parenting that is uh restorative of biblical principle and a character-based parenting rather than an achievement-based parenting. It's amazing to me. Today's parents can tell you what they've done in the last week to promote their children's achievement levels. They rarely can tell you what they have done to enhance a character value in their children. It's just amazing to me over and over again.
3: No, that's absolutely right, John. And You know, um, why is it that America has the highest teen suicide rate uh, of any nation on the planet, yet we're arguably the richest. And the answer is found in Romans 5, 3, and 4. It says that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Now, the number one reason that, that teenagers give for attempting suicide is they say they have no hope. But if we take that scripture and just line upon line go right in reverse, they're, they're committing suicide because they have no hope. They have no hope because they have no character. They have no character because it's never been developed through perseverance. And you can't persevere through anything until you first suffered for something, struggled. Uh, Make kids do hard things. I mean, think about this. David Farragut commanded a naval ship when he was 12 years old.
1: Twelve years old, I know that, yeah.
3: John Quincy Adams was the assistant to the uh, ambassador to Russia when he was 14. Louis Braille uh, invented the system for the blind when he was 15 years old and blind. Uh, I mean, the the list goes on and on of what kids can do.
1: Oh, absolutely! Back in the uh, in the wild, wild west of the eighteen hundreds, kids at the age of three were milking cows and uh, things of this sort. I mean, and, and today's parents, you tell them that, that a three year old can learn how to wash floors, they look at you like you've lost your mind.
3: That's um, exactly right. I, I I would send my my uh, two year old grandson Uh, get my brown slippers. He couldn't say brown slippers, uh, but he'd come out with the brown slippers. And so just because little kids can't articulate things, that does not mean that they can't understand. And the sooner that we can get them to to doing things, you're building brain connections in that kid that will do those things better next time. But instead, we're putting them in front of iPads, and now 90% of kids have digital histories at the age of two, but even the American Academy of Pediatrics will say, don't put a kid in front of a TV uh, before the age of two uh, because you're retarding his development.
1: Well, that's uh, good stuff, Trace. Um, If our listeners would like to learn more about Shepherds Hill Academy, they can go to helpmytroubleteen.org. Trace, thank you so much for being on the show and staying with us through two segments. I really appreciate it, brother. Folks, it's been another enjoyable day with you talking about parenting, our number 404-419-6499. And you can call anytime to get on the show with your questions or comments. See you again next time. Why? Because I said so. From Creative Genius Productions and the American Family Radio Network.